Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. This week, Football New Zealand has been left with a bit of work to do after a damning review into the organisation. The All Blacks are after redemption when they take on the Springboks this weekend. Nolin Tauru brings in some old faces they prepare to take on the Aussies once again. And it's Bathurst 1000 this weekend. Can a Kiwi win it again? Football New Zealand now has the task of implementing a number of recommendations after an independent review found a number of issues with the conduct and culture at the national body. It stems from complaints from 12 Football Ferns players about former coach Andreas Harif. Auckland sports reporter Clay Wilson has been following the story and Clay, what are the immediate steps forward from here? Well the first and major step forward is partly already been done and that's to apologise. Um, Derek Shaw and the the executive committee have issued a public apology to those players affected. Um, the next step is to sit down. I think the players are definitely keen and the board are, are willing to sit down with the players face to face, those players that want to do that, and apologise to them and also to get feedback from the players to hear what the players have to say face to face. Obviously they've seen the review and get their response to that um, and I think that will probably offer the, the players some closure. Um, the next step after that is to probably talk to the stakeholders within football. There is talk of another football summit. There was one held last month um, with all the stakeholders in football, the federations, the players, um, the regional bodies, uh, those people, the people out there in the grassroots of football and to get their thoughts on on the way forward and what, how they've seen the review and, and how things are going to move forward from here. Um, then starts the long process, I guess, of implementing some of those changes. There's a lot of relationships that need to be mended, a lot of bridges to be gapped and definitely a lot of holes to be filled of um, of positions and, and, I guess, things that weren't being carried out in the past. So um, th- th- those are some big steps. And then I guess the Ferns also have the Oceania Nations Cup coming up, which is World Cup qualifying for them. So um, there's no co- in place, so I guess um, putting a coach in place for the ferns is a is another key thing in this in the immediate steps. What other major changes asked for, and how soon can we expect those to start taking effect? Well, the establishment of a couple of key committees are really pretty close to the top of the list. Uh, most crucially, player welfare, and obviously that was hugely found to be lacking, not only with the ferns but across the organisation. So establishing a player welfare committee, um, Philippa Muir also recommended establishing a high performance committee um, to give the players somewhere to go and also, uh, I guess in terms of complaints, somewhere to go. Um, Establishing human resources, um, that was one glaring thing in this review. There was no one in New Zealand football actually employed to oversee human resources. Um, then they've got to st- strengthen their links um, with their um, with their stakeholders. There's a lot of trust to be rebuilt there with the players, the federations, the uh, professional um, players association, um, management and staff at the organisation. So addressing that and then crucially as well addressing issues with diversity. Um, 
the the, the review found that only 21% of this, the whole staff at New Zealand Football are female and none are in senior management roles. So that was a big part of it and I think is going to be a big focus in the early part of this get it, getting turning New Zealand football around. What about President and Board Chair Derek Shaw and the rest of the New Zealand Football Executive Committee? Where do they stand in all of this? Well, I guess in terms of people that have overseen this mess, they're the ones that are left standing because obviously uh, CEO Andy Martin has gone and Andreas Haraf has gone. They've both fallen on their sword. So um, the people that were in place and overseeing these things, um, the only ones left are Shaw and his executive committee. Um, Shaw has already come out and said that he won't stand down voluntarily, but if the members, um, if the stakeholders in New Zealand football see that as fit, then he will do it. We haven't heard from him the rest of the executive committee so it's un, um, unclear what they will do I guess if we have another football summit and the stakeholders around the country get to have their say then we'll see but um, it seems pretty hard to um, imagine that um, either Shaw or at least some of these members of the executive committee can stay on board I mean they're the ones that have overseen all this um, and I guess you know there's definitely a lot of credence to the theory that how can change happen if the same people are still in charge so that's going to be very very interesting definitely a number of calls for especially Shaw to fall on his sword if he will or not we'll have to wait and see in the coming months. Clay Wilson thank you very much. Meanwhile, there was good news for the Wellington Phoenix this week about their future in the A-League. The A-League is set to break away from Football Federation Australia after the governing body accepted constitutional changes allowing more of the game's stakeholders onto their Congress. An independent A-League is set to be in place by March next year. General Manager David Dome says the Phoenix will no longer have any special licence requirements placed on them that none of the other clubs have to meet. And so it's good news. The club union has been extremely positive about the Phoenix in the past and has stated publicly that the Phoenix is seen as one-tenth of the A-League and that they've absolutely stated that it's imperative that the value of existing licences are protected and that includes Wellington Phoenix. So we don't have to prove ourselves to that, to that organisation, that body. Like I say, we are regarded as one-tenth of the A-League and they see us as such. So potentially we would have uh, maybe have representation on on any new body that looks at rebuilding the um, operating model. We don't know yet. Again, that's all being pulled together now, or will be in the next couple of weeks, um, and then we'll we'll obviously be part of all of those discussions about what the future operating model of uh, a new independent aid looks like. Well, you must be pretty happy, you know, with with, with what's now looking ahead um, as far as the Phoenix is concerned, though. We're, we're very pleased. Very pleased. Like I say, we've been working, and, and our chairman Rob Morrison and the um, the club union APFCA has been working very hard on this for, for quite some time now, and we're, it's finally come got across the line. We've had to fight quite hard the whole way along. We're very lucky. We're not lucky, but we're very. Um, like I say, we've been we've been hugely supported by the club union from day one. So that's been very very important to us. What it does, it gives us certainty now um, around the licence. It gives us certainty around the, um, uh, the Phoenix's tenure in the A League. We'll be seen exactly as every other club. It'll help. Us, it'll reassure our fans, which are which have been very supportive and have been with us and behind us through these um, some of these very troubling times and difficult times. Some of our key supporters, key commercial partners, have been there from day one. Um, it helps with the city. Uh, to know that the, the, the Wellington Phoenix is going to be in, in the A-League um, in the new model going forward. So you put all those pieces together and it does, you know, it's a, it, is, it certainly is a very strong light at the end of the tunnel and it is a brave new world coming up and it does give us a lot of, a lot of certainty and a lot of security going forward, no doubt about it. That's David Dome.
And this is extra time. The All Blacks are in Africa and ready for redemption against the Springboks after their shock loss to the old foe in Wellington. The All Blacks have already wrapped up the rugby championship title, but as rugby reporter Joe Porter reports, Sunday's test in Pretoria is far from insignificant. Now Marks goes, Marks scores! Springboks in again! Oh, they are brutal this evening! The box were brutal in Wellington, particularly on defence, and All Blacks midfielder Ryan Crotty concedes they were caught off guard. They definitely changed their defensive system. They are bringing a little more line speed and they are numbering off a little bit differently than they have in the past. So we took some learnings out of that into the Argentinian game and, and, and it's about just continuing to take those learnings forward into this week's test match. Crotty is on the bench for Sunday morning's clash with Jack Goodhue starting at centre and one of four changes to the All Blacks starting 15. Coach Steve Hansen says they're yet to settle on their first choice midfield and want to see how Sonny Bill Williams and Goodhue perform together at test level. We want to see that combination of him and Sonny. We last saw it in the French series, so we know a lot about Brian and Jack, but we don't know a lot about Sonny and Jack. So um, all year we've been trying to work out what's our best combination in that area for the future, and this is an opportunity to do that. The Springboks are flying high with back-to-back wins in the rugby championship, including their upset of the All Blacks, but history suggests they'll be up against it at loftus Versfeld. The hosts have lost four in a row against the All Blacks at the venue, and first five, Andre Pollard, who was instrumental in the box win in Wellington, is expecting a black storm to descend on Pretoria on Sunday. You go back in history, every time they've lost a test match, they come back firing at 120% the next week and the next time they play that same team. So we know... They're going to come out, we know they're going to be more accurate, we know they're going to be more physical. Um, but we at home, and it's, it's up to us to, to match that and we can go one step further. Captain Kieran Reid is back at number eight for the All Blacks with Adi Savia dropping to the reserves despite starring in last week's win in Argentina, while Owen Franks takes over from Ufa Tungafasi at prop. Hansen says it's a timely return for the two centurions. Well, it brings a lot of experience and uh, some firepower, so... And we're going to need it. I mean, they're a pretty confident side at the moment. The box have grown another arm and a leg since they've knocked us over in Wellington. Bowden Barrett remains at first five and will be desperate to produce a winning performance to make up for his less than stellar display in Wellington, with Richie Maunga providing cover from the bench. Hansen denies the match has no relevance with the rugby championship title already wrapped up and says it will be a test of blood, guts and glory for the winner. We've got two teams that are going to go at it, so you know, two big bulls in the bullpen and... Last man standing. Hansen's men will want to be the ones left standing, or they'll become the first all-black side since 2009 to lose to the Springboks twice in one season. Mōte hōtaka o te atanei, ko Joe Porteraho. You're listening to Extra Time. It's been three years since the New Zealander last at the top of the podium at the famous Bathurst 1000, but this year two are favourites to win. Holden's Shane Van Gisbergen and Ford driver Scott McLaughlin sit one and two on the Australian Supercars Championship standings, though neither has tasted victory at the sport's most famous racetrack. Four-time Bathurst champion Greg Murphy told Clay Wilson Mount Panorama is a special place for every supercar driver. You arrive up here and you can just feel the excitement and the vibe of what's going on you know, in and around this, this racetrack and you can sense the you know, the anxiousness and the excitement of the drivers as well when they start to arrive and, and start to fall into the, the realm of getting onto the racetrack and driving these cars here. So, it's, yeah, it's different, but you don't have that adrenaline rush that you used to have, you know, obviously when you were going to be climbing in, on board a supercar. Obviously, we arrive at this race in a pretty unique situation with two Kiwis at the top of the championship. What are you sensing from both Shane and Scott heading into what is such a big race? 
Oh, they know what they've got to do. It's a, it's a really, you know, important race. Forget championships, forget everything else. They want to be Bathurst champions. And, and, you know, they've been here enough now to understand what they've got to do and how, how important it is to be part of a great team, have a great co-driver. And they understand also that sometimes you've got to be in the right place at the right time to benefit from other people's misfortunes, benefit from safety cars, benefit from all sorts of things to, to end up taking control of this race and, and being the champion. So they're prepared and, and they're both in very good teams, as are all the other Kiwis as well. And at this stage, you know, there might seem to be sort of favourites that's got an advantage, but, you know, the race doesn't always work out that way. If there's any race in the country that can throw up a bit of a curveball and create um, a very different result, it's this one. You spoke a little bit at the start about what makes this race so special, but as someone who's won the race, what is what is that like? What does it mean to a driving professional to, to go out and win this race and, and stand at the top of the podium at Bathurst? It really does change your life, changes your professional life in a big way because, you know, this is the pinnacle of, of our sport. It's such a historic race that so many people have made careers from by being successful here and the memories that I've had have of it, you know, is significant. I mean it is it is at the end of the day the best thing that can happen to you, the best race you can win in, in this part of the world. Four time Bathurst champion Greg Murphy talking to Clay Wilson. The Breakers assistant coach Judd Flavel says all his players stood tall as they pushed NBA team the Phoenix Suns in their pre-season basketball game in Arizona. The Suns beat the Breakers 91-86 in the game of a series of matches between the NBA and NBL teams. Guard Corey Webster had a game-high 27 points. I spoke to the Breakers assistant coach Judd Flavel, who was happy that his side made the game competitive. Make no mistake, we were there to win this game. We were not there to just turn up and give them a run. The fact that, obviously, uh, the NBL has had this partnership with the, with the NBA the last couple of seasons, or last couple of years, and and you've just seen enough teams that were able to hang close and, and keep it interesting. We really wanted to just you know keep the pressure on the, the Suns and and you know they're, they're human beings as well. They they feel pressure when, when the game's not going their way and when you're able to kind of expose a few of their weaknesses and you know, I thought we did a great job of doing that you know I think you know one or two of those shots that fall down and the, down the crunch this, this game this result could have been a different story but you know I think for the NBL in general it's, it's showing that the bigger the gap is closing and that's exactly what we wanted to do. Did you talk to the Suns staff afterwards uh, what was their reaction? Oh, look, no, we didn't. Um, it was just one of those straight after the games where you, you kind of go through the formalities of shaking hands and stuff. And, you know, KB and Igor, the, the Phoenix Suns head coach, had a little chat, and I think that was more about uh, discussing the one of the plays, sideline plays that we ran. But I think, you know, just sort of listening to some of their post-game uh, interviews, that there, there was enough respect there, I think, paid from them towards the way that, that we approached the game. And, I know that you know Melbourne last year when they came close to sort of upsetting them, OKC Thunder. We, we didn't have that surprise factor, I guess, that you could probably do the first time. But look, I, I think really at the end of the day, you know, Phoenix Suns probably you know walked away from that game feeling a little bit of uh, relief and you know and, and hoping we could help prepare them for for something that they could expect in, in their season. A game high, I think it was from Corey Webster. Um, you know, he impressed, um, and I'm assuming the perhaps the locals were impressed with him also. Yeah, look, uh, I think anytime somebody has a, 
a performance like that where they where they score the ball and and make shots over the top of uh, you know these guys are NBA defenders and um, they're, they're definitely not they don't slouch on that end of the floor you know they're great athletes and and have great length. But Webster had one of those nights where he can get going and, and you know he can get his shot off uh, whenever he wants, majority of the time. And you know we were fortunate last night that uh, he was you know he got hot there for patches and was able to help us uh, climb our way back into it. Yeah, you know, I just thought overall, I just you know certain guys had patches all throughout the game. You know, we could talk about you know the guys like uh, Wesley just just sort of being the anchor for us, and uh, you know I thought Sean. Uh, who just joined, rejoined the group here from being away uh, for a week. And they came in, had one practice with us, and then you know, turned up and um, was, was you know, sensational. But I, I could really go on and on about uh, some of the guys and, and their, their performances. And you know, I guess for us last night, if we look at you know certain areas that we could improve on, you know, it was probably on the offensive end and you know, just taking care of the ball. And we were able to do that. We had great, great things happen for us, but. Um, Look, plenty of positives out of last night, and, and hopefully we can build on that. Judd Flavel and the NBL season starts next week. This is extra time. Silver Ferns head coach Nolan Taurua has made three changes to his squad ahead of Game 1 against the Australian Diamonds on Sunday for the Constellation Cup. Taurua has opted to concentrate on muscle and combinations, and after seven years has reintroduced defender Sulu Fitzpatrick to the national ranks, as well as returning shooter Maya Wilson and uncapped mid-quarter Erikana Pedersen. Netball reporter Ravinda Hunia with this report. A key ingredient missing from the last netball quad series was strength against physical pressure, and Nolene Thodua's latest recruitment drive for Game 1 of the Constellation Cup suggests that's about to change. Sulu coming in definitely got presence there now in, in circle defence, plus also another option of playing a different way. With Maya now we've got two goal shooters, not necessarily different at all, but are very strong underneath the post. So hopefully as well that would provide us with a bit of value with rebounding. For some players, it was more than just on-court performance that impressed selectors. Defender Sulu Fitzpatrick returns seven years after her Silver Ferns debut, thanks to a strong season at the Central Pulse and a new respect for the black dress. I was very blessed to get that opportunity so early, but I think myself mentally I wasn't quite there. I definitely took it for granted and really didn't realise the amount of support I had, I guess, backing me to take that opportunity and wasted it. So this time coming, there's a lot more perspective on being grateful and, and knowing that a lot of people don't get this opportunity. The Constellation Cup is netball's answer to rugby's Bledisloe Cup, though its results are far from the same. In eight years, the Silver Ferns have only won the title once. That was in 2012. And in her first Trans-Tasman clash as coach, Dodua's progression concept is slowly fading. We did have incremental improvements every time we took the court, but you know when it comes down to it, it's about getting the big W on the scoreboard. We have to get our mindsets that we're out there not to rebuild, we're out there to win. And we must be able to train that way and must have that mindset that we're going out with that killer instinct. So we've got to make those shifts. A killer instinct the Australian Diamonds are renowned for. Australian coach Lisa Alexander has made changes to counter what she observed in the quad series too, namely from six-foot youngster Michaela Sokolich-Beetson. Sokolich-Beetson's performance at wing defence is probably a lift up to what I perhaps had expected, but you know I know that she's been touted as a future 
Silver Ferns captain, you know, certainly had that great experience with the 21s at the World Cup. Now, I thought she took her opportunity really well and, you know, we're going to have to be mindful of those long arms around the circle edge. And although quietly impressed by the recognition, Dodo's influence on mid-quarter Sokolage Beetson motivates the youngster more. I guess I should take it as a compliment because I'm new maybe. She doesn't know how I play, but you're only as strong as you're 12. And I think that's a credit to Knowles for picking the, you know, the players she's picked and the way that they're training as well. Like Every time you come to training, it's a fight for your position. It's not a given. The fight now begins for starting seven positions when the Silver Ferns face the Diamonds on Sunday afternoon in Brisbane. And that's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.